0: All right, all right, all right, all right. While they're they're receiving the offering, go ahead and pull out your Bibles, pull out your Bibles. We are beginning a brand new series this morning uh, in the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel, and so we're going to be in 1 Samuel, Uh, we're going to start actually in chapter 8, 1 Samuel 8, and that's on page 256. My bad. 256 in the, in the blue Bible. So if you didn't bring a Bible, there's a blue one underneath the seat you are sitting in. It's on page 256 in that blue Bible, is where we're going to be. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Um, and as we begin, we kind of have to do a little bit of the back work because we're launching into a, a narrative, right? Samuel, uh, the works of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel are historic works. It's it's a story. It's it's a it's a factual account. Here's what happened in the history in the life of the nation of Israel. And so, if you kind of say, um, let's just start there, right? Everybody's confused. Because it's a part of a larger meta narrative, right? There's, there's a much larger picture that we must understand if we're going to um, if we're going to be able to understand what's happening in First Samuel eight and following um, without understanding what, everything that happened before and what's coming after. Um, it's going to be a really really hard thing for us. And so, um, what happens in First Samuel is that, that the nation of Israel transitions into a time of kingship, a monarchy. Um, the people choose a king. They've never had a king before. All right? So if you remember, if you've been around church, maybe you grew up going to church or uh, you've been around long enough, uh, you know that the nation of Israel uh, kind, of, kind of became rooted through, through, um, through Jacob um, and through Joseph. Through Joseph, um, the, the nation of Israel becomes rooted in uh, the land of Egypt. Right, and so they're in Egypt, and all is well, is all and all is good. Um, Joseph is, is kind of blessing the people, and he's he's kind of the liaison between Egypt and the nation of Israel, and it's it's a good thing. But then, as they grow in in numbers, as they as they begin to reproduce like crazy um, in Isra- in Egypt, the, the Egyptians say, "Whoa, let's 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 slow these people down," and they begin to oppress the nation of Israel. All right, this is God's chosen people, that, he, that he's called to be his people. He, he made a promise to a guy named Abraham that he would, that he would bring from Abraham, uh, not, just, not just a person, but a, a whole people, a, a nation. Now, Abraham was old, and he didn't have any kids, and Abraham's uh, wife was very old. She didn't have any kids, but he says, no, 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 I'm going to bring you a people, and this is those people, the nation of Israel. And so Egypt begins to oppress them and enslave them uh, and, and make sure that they are subdued, to so make sure they're not a threat. And then along comes Moses, right? Moses is called by God to lead these people out of slavery, out of captivity, and into a free new promised land, which he promised also to Abraham. Right? God made that promise to Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a people, a nation is going to come from you, and I'm going to give that nation land. I'm going to give them land. Right? And so along comes Moses, and it's Moses' job to lead them out of slavery into this promised land. And the people are, people are led out of uh, slavery in Egypt, and all is well and all is great. And then they stumble and they fall, um, and they rebel against God. They, they, they reject God. And this is the theme and the pattern of the entire Bible in really, all of human history, when when people when things begin to go well for people, people tend to rebel against God. That that rhymes. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but but it works, right? When people when people rebel, or when people when things are going well, people tend to rebel. Like that that is the history of the nation of Israel. Um, everything is going well, and they're like, no, 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 I got this, right? God pulls them out of this black hole of slavery, and they're like, sweet. Life's good. We got this. And God's like, no, 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 no. You, you don't got it. No, 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 no. I've I, I got it. We, we, we can figure it out from here. Thank you for that. We're good now. And God's like, no, 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 I don't think that you do. No, 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 we're, we're good. We, we're, we're, we're on our own now. We're good. Oh, no, but another hole, right? And they just fall into it. And God pulls them out of that hole. And it's the same thing on repeat throughout the entire Bible. And so they're, they're led up to the edge of the promised land, but they're not allowed to go in because of their rebellion to God. And so Moses and an entire generation dies off. And then, and then Joshua leads them into the promised land. And again, God is faithful. Joshua is faithful to God. God is faithful to the people. He delivers their, their enemies into their hands for 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 years and years and years and years. And then Joshua dies. And we enter into a season, a time in the nation of Israel, uh, known as the time of the judges, um, which is not a good time. Again, everything's going well, and they just keep falling down. Um, the Judges is kind of the craziest time in the, in the Bible. In fact, a couple weeks ago, we have these Bible reading plans here at Flourishing Grace. Most of you know about them. Uh, we, have, we have one for our preschoolers. And I have a four-year-old at home. And we were reading the Bible reading plan uh, with, our, with our little guy, Winston. And we started going into Judges. And uh, Desiree one night was like, Josh, I left out a few of the things from the story. <laughs> Like the tent pegs being hammered through somebody's skull. I just, I just thought maybe, maybe, maybe not before bed. Um, it's like, that's Judges. It's like the darkest, craziest, creepiest stories of the Bible. There they are. It's really fascinating. It's amazing. You want to terrify your kids, just take them through that. Um, and with the last great judge it was a guy named Samuel. That kind of leads us to where we are. So Samuel wrote that historic work, the, the, the book of Judges. He gives us all those facts about all those judges. He gives us that historic work. And then he also goes on to write First and Second Samuel, which leads us, transitioning us into a time of the kings. Now, for every little boy and girl who grew up in the nation of Israel, all these Hebrew boy, boys and girls, these were their bedtime stories. With Their parents, when they grew up and they they were old enough to understand the stories that they were told every single day were the stories of guys like King Saul, who we're going to learn about over the next few weeks. King David, who we're going to learn about over the next few weeks and months here at Flourishing Grace. And these kings, the stories of the kings, and really the story of the nation of Israel, the story of Samuel, and these kings was meant to point them to their need for... And give them a desire for a king that is yet to come. A greater king that would someday come to bless the nation of Israel. God is writing this story. He's teaching generations of young little Hebrew boys and girls. Man, what you truly need, more than you need anything in the world, is a greater king. One that would love you perfectly and care for you perfectly. And would, would lay his life down for you. And for us, for you and me, what we get to do is we look at it from the other side. We look at it from the future. We are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years on the other side of this. We're on the other side. We're thousands of years on the other side of Jesus, that greater king. And so we get to look back at all of these stories, the stories of Saul and David, and every single one of them, every single one of them, God is reminding us that he has given us a greater king. The one he's steering us back to. He's steering us back to the one that we truly need. And all of us, we, we mess up in the same way that Israel messes up. We long for the same things that Israel longed for. And God is still today, he is faithfully steering you back to Christ. He's doing it right now in your life, whether you realize it or not. And this is what we're going to see week after week after week. We're really going to look at three kings. King Saul, which is the first king of the nation of Israel. King, king David, the second king. And then Jesus. All of it is going to point us to Christ. Every single week you're going to see all of this is designed to point us to the person of Jesus. And so it begins, we're going to begin in chapter 8. And if you, if you look at chapter 7, maybe maybe if you've been following along in our Bible reading plan, it's actually been going through 1 Samuel. Um, chapter 7, everything's great. Samuel is the last great judge. He's been judging the nation of Israel. And what that means, it's not a judge like, i got a black cloak and white hair and a gavel. That's not that kind of judge. Um, This judge is kind of a a spiritual, uh, political guide for the nation of Israel. He's judging their actions and their deeds. And so what he does every year is he kind of goes on a tour. It's like, it's like the tour bus. He like hops on his tour bus and he travels around the nation from city to city to city. He says, okay, here, here are the things that you're doing that are going really, really well. Like keep these things up, right? But here's the things that are not going so well spiritually, politically. Here's the, here's the flaws I see. Let's bring those back up and let's, let's, let's judge this thing. Let, let's, let's keep being a healthy nation. And it says in chapter 7, man, this is going really, really well. And it's a time of peace in the nation." It's a time of prosperity in the nation. And when things are going well, people rebel. One person remembers. Okay, it it rhymes. Um, I thought that was clever. Uh, People rebel. And so in chapter 8, people are going to rebel. And so if you would with me, we believe here at Flourishing Grace, this, this is the absolute word of God. Every word on every page in the book of 1 Samuel is there because God wants it to be there. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't allow it to be changed. And so if you would stand with me in honor and reverence of the reading of the Word as I read for, it for us this morning. I'm going to read chapter 8 for us. 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the, se- and the name of his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people. And all that they say to you, for, you have not reje- for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods... So they are doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told them all the, words of the, that the Lord, uh, all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them as his chariots. And he will be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will, he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. Some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make implement, implements of war uh, and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his, give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants, the best of your young men and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you shall be his slaves. And on that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourself. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also will be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and give them a king, Samuel. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can grab a seat. So we see at the very beginning, that Samuel kind of is is growing old, and in fact, is, it's kind of deceiving because he's not that old. He's got a lot of years left. But Samuel says, "I'm going to turn this over to my boys. They're going to be in charge now. They're going to they're going to be the next judges of the nation of Israel." But his but his boys don't follow in his footsteps. They, they, they pervert justice. They take bribes. They're, they're, they're taking offerings. They're saying, Man, whatever, whatever you want to pay me, I'll make life good for you. Right? This is rather than being obedient to the Lord and saying, here's the things you're doing wrong, and here's the things we need to fix, they're saying, if you pay me enough, I'll just let that stuff slide. And so the elders come before Samuel. They say, man, we're we're not going down that road again. We've been there before. We've had bad judges. We've had judges that have ruined everything for us. We're not going back there, right? And this is not a bad thing, right? This This is the elders of the nation of Israel being faithful, saying, we're not going back to that way, Samuel. We're not following your boys. And then they say this. They say, what we want, what we should have in the nation of Israel, what would make this thing work is a king, that's what we need. We need. We need a king. Um, every single one of us, every single person on the planet, has a list of loves. Now you don't think about this. This is not something that we consciously often think about. But your loves are in order. Then you don't love anything the same amount as you love another thing. You have an order to which to the things that you love. Um, uh, so maybe at the top of the list, it should should be hopefully uh, for many of you, is is Jesus. We say, man, Jesus should be our chief love. We should love Jesus more than we love anything else. And maybe below that, for those of you who are married, might be your spouse or, or your children, your your family, your your deepest, your closest friendships and relationships, uh, your your church, your community, um, and then on down the line these. These loves are uh, assigned a spot on this list. And when the top things are healthy, when Christ is our preeminent love, when we love Him more than we love anything in the world, everything else falls into a right and good order, a order that leads us into flourishing. But what tends to happen, in fact, this happens, this doesn't tend to happen, this happens literally every day things begin to creep up this list that shouldn't be that high on the list. And in order for that to happen, we must scrape some things off the top of the list in order to move some love down to give to these things. And I don't know what those things are for you. We say here at Flourishing Grace that um, kind of behind the scenes... When we're talking about what happens on Sunday morning when, when Pete, um, our pastor of music, or Binger and I, or uh, our teams are talking, we talk about this gathering right here as a love-reorienting practice. That's how we define what we do here on Sunday morning. It's a love-reorienting practice. And in the reality, what we mean by that, what that means is, is that we realize that you and I and every human being, as we go through our weeks, our loves get out of order. And we want to do our best, the best that we can, to help you reorient, to reorder your loves. That cross would be chief and preeminent love. And out of that, everything would kind of flow well out of that chief preeminent love. But what tends to happen on Monday, we turn around and things begin to shift and get out of order again. I'll give you a simple example. Uh, of how this of how this kind of sneakily happens in our lives right so the new iPhone just got came out this week it's amazing I mean, I don't know if you've seen the videos. It's like the coolest. It's always the coolest thing, right? Which I kind of hate at the same time. It's like, gosh, again? Um, I just want my old one to be fine for a little bit longer. So I'm not jealously craving that one, right? And so we begin to look at this and we see this um, and we say, how amazing would it be to have that? I-, I know that we've been saving this money over here for a family vacation because that's literally how much it costs. Um, but, but what if we just kind of put that off? just for, just till next year. And we take the money we've been saving for this new iPhone. I mean, I was just to open the box and to peel back the little plastic. Some of you are like, no, 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 leave that on uh, for as long as possible. But to peel that little shiny plastic off and to to, man, to parade it around the office, to show your friends and to play with all of the, the tools and the features. And you're like, this is so cool, right? Totally worth it. Like, we, we should totally spend the money. Listen, listen, I'll get one. You get one, honey. It's, it'll be fair. Like, that's how we play it. Um, so that I can get mine, right? It'll be it'll be awesome. We'll just use that money for that. So you're telling me you love the new iPhone more than you love your family? No, 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 oh, Josh, that's not no, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying one vacation. No, no, no. What you're saying is I'm gonna scrape a little bit off the top. Uh, this this trip that you'd planned to remove your kids from the stress of. School or life, to remove your spouse and you from the stress of your, your career and your work, to pull away as a family, to reinvest, to reconnect, to spend time away from the world so that you might grow closer together in love for each other. He said, let's sacrifice that. Let's scrape a little bit off the top. Let's sacrifice that so that I can have this thing that's creeped up my list of loves. You See, it's sneaky. You don't know you're doing it. But you're doing it all the time. Literally every day, every moment, you are doing this small ways, in great ways. We scrape a little bit off the top of our list of loves so that we can love these things down here a little bit more. And they begin to get out of order. And in the nation of Israel, what we're going to see as we kind of dive into this is this is what has happened. They asked for a king. They ask for a king, and this is not a bad thing. A lot of times preachers preach this, and they say, "Well, look at look how wicked they are asking for a king." It's not a bad thing. Kings are not bad things, right? They're not. Listen, how many of you guys stayed up to like four in the morning to watch the royal wedding, right? Please, Naveen, I know you did. Okay, I know you. Okay, you can don't have to put your hand up, but I know you did, right? Listen. Listen, we do this all the time. We do this all the time. We love kings. Kings are not bad things, right? To have a a ruler, a leader, a king is not necessarily a bad thing, right? To to say, man, I don't want to follow those wicked sons of Samuel, right? But what we need is a good, right king to lead us and guide us. Like, that's not a bad thing. But that's not what's going on here. That's not what's going on here. Look at the language real quick um, in verse 4. All the elders gather in Israel. This is what they say, verse this verse 5. They say to Samuel, Behold, you are old, your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. You see, they want a king to be like everyone else. They see what's going on over here. They see the wealth and the success and the protection that, that these other nations have, which is not real. It's, just, it's, just, it's, it's a false sense of wealth, false sense of protection. But they see that. and They say, man, wouldn't it be awesome if we had that? Wouldn't it be cool if we could take the shiny little wrapper off of our king and hold him up and show all the other nations, look, we're just as cool as you are. We got the latest new thing. Look at our king. It's, he's awesome. He's like way better than your king. He's the, he's the latest king. He's doing, And so the king, the reason what they want a king is for all the wrong reasons. They're not not wanting a king. See, if they wanted a king, a king in in, in the simplest form is just a system of government. That's really all it is. They're saying we just want to change our system of government. And if you had a king who pointed you to the right things, a king who helped you and freed you to love well, the things that should be chief and preeminent on your list of loves. If that's what a king did, if you got a right, good king that helps you love these things well and helps you order your loves rightly, that would be great. Nothing wrong with that king. But that's not why they want a king. They, they don't want a king so that that king will help them help them love the right things and, and help them remain faithful and be be good, be good spouses and good parents. that's not why they want a king. They want a king that they can peel the little plastic wrapper off and be like, look how awesome our king is. They're loving the king for all the right reasons, and that king is creeping up on this list of loves, and it's going to destroy everything for them. A simple example, I think it's hard, maybe hard to understand in a, in a massive system of government. But we do this all the time in our, in our daily lives. Some of you um, are highly productive Praise the Lord for you. Um, and you geek out over your, um, your kind of to-do list apps. Like you, you've got like three monitors and you've got like Evernote here. You've got getting things done here. You've got notes over here. And you're just like, dude, I am the most organized person on the planet. Is there anything wrong with that? No, it's amazing. Like productivity is okay. Like be, be productive. Like go, go after that. Do, do that, right? Because productivity down here on our list of loves... Is something, if, 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 if loved rightly frees us and, and motivates us and encourages us to love these things well. If I'm more productive here, I have more time to spend with Christ. If I'm more productive here, I have more time to spend with my family. If I'm more productive here, I'll do a better job of investing in my friends. But I know you right, with your like six monitors and your, all your apps on your phone. You're just like, you love the idea of being productive. You're like, dude, I, l- look, look at how cool this is. Look at how much I got done. You love just getting things done. Like the emotion that comes with like checking that thing off the list for you, right, is an amazing, like that was amazing. That was like the most satisfying thing I did all day, right? What you love is the idea of productivity, not the system that could help you Love the things at the top of your list. Am I, am I making sense? It's, it's just a system of government. I, if we just love the system of government because it freed us and encouraged us to love these things greater, that would be fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not what they want. So what they want. They want to love a king. They want to love a king. And in order to love a king, they, they, must, they, they must scrape some love off the top of the list in order to love the things that should be lower on the list. It's an all-out rejection of God. They're treasuring something over the greatest treasure of all. Look at verse 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that I say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. They haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. You see, this is, it's, this is how it works. Here is Yahweh, the king, the ruler, the leader, the God of all things over the nation of Israel and over the whole world. And he is their God and they are his people. He has led them again and again and again and again out of trouble. He has given over their enemies in battle again and again and again. He has provided for them when everything else is failing. He has provided for them. He has cared for them. He has brought them to victory and flourishing again and again. Look how amazing our God is. He's incredible. Look how the nations have a king. What if we had one? Like, wouldn't it be cool if we had a king that we could, like, show off to some of the other nations? I mean, wouldn't it be cool if we had a king that could kind of help us be more organized politically and take care of some of those things that just need to be taken care of? I mean, what if we had a king? I mean, a king could, could, could lead us into battle like a big, strong king that could, like, help us fight our battles and train our soldiers. Like, a king could be, like, an amazing thing that could help bring financial flourishing into the land. Look how great a king could be. See, it's a subtle thing. We never realize we're doing it. If he stepped into the nation of Israel in that moment, he said, no, 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 what you're doing is you're loving a king more than you're loving God. they said, say, no, 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 absolutely not. We are God's people. We love God. He is everything. He's done all these great things for us. We love God. This, this love is a creepy thing. It's a sneaky thing. We don't see it coming We just get distracted by these lesser loves. And all of a sudden we're scraping off the top of the list in order to bring these ones up. And in doing so, you must, you absolutely must, you must bring these lower. You cannot, you cannot move things up your list of loves. And I don't know what those things are for you. I don't know what your greatest temptation is if it's your career, um, if it's your possessions, your, your, your money, your bank account. I don't know what it is that distracts you from the greater things that ought to, that ought to have our love. I don't know what that is for you, right? But we, we tend to get lost in these things and we must it, in order to bring them up the list something here must fall. Something here must fall. And so God says Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They're rejecting me. And it's not that they don't love God. That, that's the, kind of the scary thing in this. It's not that they've stopped loving God. It's just that they've started loving something more. We've started lumping something more. And so God says to Samuel, I mean, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give it to them. I want you to give them what they ask for, but, but I want you to warn them. I want you to warn them of what this is going to look like for them. And I want you to tell them exactly how this is going to go down. But they can do what they want. This is their choice. I think often we think that somehow, shape, or form, if we could just be the people who choose, everything would be much better, Right? In the United States, we love democracy. In fact, it's like the greatest thing ever. Like we think everybody in the world should have democracy. Now listen, don't hate me. Don't, don't send me emails because I'm not bashing the United States. I'm not bashing democracy. I'm just saying thousands and thousands and thousands of years of history tell us that when the people get to choose, it doesn't actually go well. It just doesn't go well. Like, literally, you can trace this back as far as you want. You can bring it all the way into today in our own backyard. When the people get to choose, it just doesn't go well. Why? Because our loves are out of order. It's as simple as that. I have some friends um, who are now uh, parenting adults. Like, their kids are grown up, and, and they're, they're parenting adults. And it's fascinating to watch uh, that, how that happens and how that goes down, and if you' if you 're old enough to have adult children, you know what i 'm talking about where they are old enough to make their own decisions right and so you see them doing something that you know is going to go badly for them you, you know it 's not going to work out, you know it 's not going to be okay. you know they're they 're going to fall in a black hole of despair it 's not going to go well and so you warn them, but then you s- step back and you say, okay. You do what you want to do. I, I, I know that, that that choice in your career or that choice in your love life or that choice in whatever is just not going to go well. And so let me, let me just tell you what I think this is going to, how this is going to happen, what, what's going to happen for you. But you're an adult. And so I'm going to step back and I'm going to let you make your own decisions. And sometimes the greatest, the greatest lessons of life come through our failures. And those those parents are always there for their kids. When they fall into that hole, when everything comes crumbling down, when everything falls apart, that parent is right there with them the whole way, just waiting for them to come right back. And that's kind of what happens here. God allows this to happen. He says, here's what I want you to do, Samuel. I want you to warn them, but then I want you to let them do it. And the warning is interesting. I want you to listen to the warning, and I want you to listen for two words. I want you to listen for the word take and the word himself or his. It starts um, kind of in the middle of verse verse eleven. These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots to be his horsemen to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to do and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war with the equipment for of his chariots he will take your daughters to be perfumers cooks and bakers he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants he will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyard and give it to his officers his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your flock and you shall be his slaves. God warns them and then he allows them to go for it. He judges them and he says, Samuel, just let them do it. Let, let them fall. Let them fall. They want a king. Tell them what that king is going to do. He is going to take everything. But then let them do it. And then the next line, you have to hear, you have to hear verse 18. Verse 18 is the craziest thing. Listen to the language in verse 18. This is what it says. This is the very next line. And on that day... You, for the first time, he turns it back to the nation of Israel. Listen to the language. You will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself, whom you have taken for yourself. He turns it back to them. He says, you are going to make this choice. You are taking what is yours. You want to know what the most dangerous love is in your life? The one that's always competing for that top spot on your list. I'm talking, I'm not talking about your career. I'm not talking about your finances. I'm talking about the most dangerous love in your life. The one that you ought to be warring against every single day. The one that will destroy everything in your life. It's you. It's yourself, man. Your king. You're going to take it. You're going to choose it. You're going to do it. You do you. Man, that is the most dangerous place to be. It's the one that destroys everything we are. When we become the kings of our lives and we get to choose, everything gets destroyed. When we are at the top of our list of loves, and and friends, I'm here to tell you, you often are. You are often the one at the top of your list of loves. You are often the one that is dictating and guiding everything else in your life. All of the other loves, all the other things that are creeping up on the list are there because you've placed yourself at the top. And they're there to satisfy you and to glorify you and to bring you greater happiness and you greater joy. That's why those things are creeping up, because you've placed yourself on the top of the list. This is what God is saying to the people. But then he lets them do that. And look at the language in verse 22. And the Lord said to Samuel, this is fascinating, Obey their voice and make them a king. I don't know why that he chose those words. He doesn't say give them a king, right? He doesn't say provide for them a king, let them choose a king. He says make them a king. Like make, make them a king. They want to be king. Good. He says, Man, they they, they wanna they want to be king? Let them be king. Make them a king. Make them ruler of their own nation. Let them choose. Let let them choose. And and he says, Man, on that day, when you cry out, I will not answer you in that day. L- let them choose. Let them let them be their own king. It's like Kevin McAllister in Home Alone, right? He wakes up in the morning he's like, I made my family disappear. It's like you get your wish. This is amazing. Like this is the best thing ever. Like we actually get to do whatever we want to do. That's the worst place for us to be. Friends, here's what I want you to see. Here's, here's kind of the hope of this whole thing. What we need is a greater king. What we need is a king that we could never be. We, we need a greater king, a king that there's no human that could ever play the role of the king that we need. We, we need a king, we need a king that is going to free us to and spur us on to a greater love. A king that's going to, to, to encourage us and spur us on towards Christ, to love him preeminently. A king that's going to encourage us to be faithful spouses to our, to our wives and to our husbands. We need a king that's going to spur us on and free us out to be ferocious parents who discipline our kids well and love them and encourage them well and are always there for them, leading them and guiding them rightly. We need a king that's going to encourage us and free us to invest in the right relationship and the right friendships. A king that's going to press us into his church that he's built for us, a community so that he might love us. We need a loving king. Not a king who's going to take for himself, but a king who's going to give up his own life for us. That's the king we need. And there's only one king that's ever done that. There's only one king that ever will. Christ is that king. In every moment of life, every moment of life, when he moves down that list, as we place ourselves on top, and we cr- begin to cry out, What would satisfy is what my neighbor has. I want that to be my king. What would satisfy is this new thing. I want that to be my king. I want that. And these things begin to move up. They're not not necessarily bad things. They begin to creep up this list. And you never see it happening because we're so blinded by our own selfish desires. If cross is not on the top of your list of love, that's happening in in your life right now. And you begin to wonder, you say, man, why are things not working out? In my home and in my family and in my career, because you have made choices along the way. It's not something that's happening right now. It's not right now. This is for Israel, for Israel, this is something that's happened over generations. This is this is not a one day I chose to love myself and I made one bad choice. You know, over time, I've been loving myself, I have been my chief love, I have been the king of my life, and I've made a series of bad choices, and I've, been, I've chosen to love these things. And all the while, Christ has been diminished on my list. Now, I would say, yeah, I still love Him, and that's what's scary about this. You can still say you love Jesus and love things far more than Him. Many of us in this room are there right now, and we wonder, why is this not working out? Why is this so frustrating? because you are the king on your own throne. And you're not good enough. You can never save, you can never rescue, you can never redeem, you can never lead yourself to flourishing. Thousands of years of history have told us that there's no human being, there's no human king that can lead his people there. And thousands of years have told us that we can't lead ourselves there either god himself to step in and to rule and reign as king in our lives so the call of first samuel to the nation of israel as they looked forward was to look forward to a greater king that had yet to come to love that king before he ever showed up so that when those little boys and girls when they grew up and the messiah showed up on that day they would say aha there he is the king that i love and the call for you and me who live in the future is to look back at this work to look back at this book and to say man I see my need for a greater king and now I live on the other side and I know who that king is. And so let us love Jesus well. Let us put him as preeminent above all things in our lives to treasure him at all costs. That's my hope for you this morning. That's my hope for your kids this Wednesday night that they be let, led into a greater treasuring of Christ. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we are so unbelievably desperate for you. I can't communicate it enough we're left to ourselves we don't see it happening we don't see it in our lives we are constantly making choices every single day that are selfish and foolish we're impatient we need it now and I, don't want to, and I don't want to invest in that. I don't want to engage in that. I don't want to do that. Because that would, that would rob me of my time. It would rob me of my hobby. It would rob me of my career. It would rob me of my... It's, it's all about me. We are our own kings. We've placed ourselves in that role. Unlike Israel, we know that when we cry out to you, Jesus, that you are here and you hear us and you are quick to restore us. And we are desperate for you this morning. For those in the room who right now the light bulb's going off and they're like, Man, I've been I've been making selfish choices, and that's why my marriage is struggling making selfish choices, and I realize right now that's why people in my office are frustrated with me. My career's not working out that well. I've been making selfish choices, and that's why I feel so distanced from my kids. I've been making selfish choices, and that's why I haven't spent time in the Word in weeks or months. I don't know Jesus. I love Him, but He's way down on that list. Would you reorient our loves this morning? Would you show us how gracious and wonderful and kind you are? Remind us that you are the King who did not take but gave his life as a ransom for many. Draw us near to yourself. Help us to think rightly every day, to watch out for our list of loves, to look and see what's creeping, and ask ourselves all the time: man, am I where am I on that list? Have I put myself above my family? Have I put myself above my spouse? Have I put myself above my friends? Have I put myself above my God? And we would be quick to repent and to confess before you and to turn back to you and to love you all the more. I praise pray you your name. In the name of Jesus. Amen.